So here's a topic that I actually like quite a bit, um, and it's French technique. So moving through snow and ice in the mountains, utilizing what's known as French technique. And some people also will call it the flat-footed technique. Um, but it's a little more expansive than that. It's not just about feet. It's actually about ice axes as well. So it's a combination of how we use our feet <clears throat> and how we can use our our ice axe in the mountains. And I think this, once again, is an interesting intersection of tradition, technique, technology, innovation, you know, and how technology can influence technique and then how technique can influence technology. So I think there's a really interesting connection between these what are oftentimes considered older school techniques of moving through the mountains. And remember, moving through the mountains has been done for a long time. So a lot of the techniques of moving through the mountains and being in the awareness of how to move through mountains is actually very old. Um, people who are doing this 100 years ago or more actually knew a lot about it. So it still is super relevant when we're in alpine environments today to look at older texts about what they were thinking and how they kind of chose to move through the mountains, especially if we think about in terms of a guiding context and how we choose to use ropes and such, shortened ropes that I talked with Silas um, about in one of my episodes, um, how that was just kind of the standard at one point. Now we we actively choose to do that and kind of utilize actually very old techniques to use that shortened rope to gain security in the mountains. But this is one of these interesting um, pieces of technique where I love taking like newer guides or people newer to ice climbing, um, you know, who have all these modern tools and essentially like within a couple days, they're already climbing, you know, pretty well if they're fit. I mean, I, I've definitely had experience with some younger new guides in their first season ice climbing, you know, after a handful of days, just top roping for the first time, they're already leading, you know, this would be like light years in advance of how it was 20, 30 years ago. Um, and then I'll have this discussion about how to actually walk around their feet. And they're like, whoa, nobody ever told us how to walk in crampons. We just kind of like put crampons on, walked around, and we kind of just like went for the steepest ice possible because we have these awesome new tools that just allows us to go straight up. We didn't even think about how to like walk around. And remember, in a mountain environment, you're going to spend more of your time on your feet versus on your toes, front pointing, right? So just understanding how to move around efficiently and comfortably in the mountains is pretty key. So I also think, you know, a lot of our modern um, equipment allows us to fully express some of these older techniques. Um, well, maybe we'll talk about that. And I see that a lot really more with um, ice axe stuff in particular. But so the concept of French technique or flat-footed technique is keeping the sole of your foot, which has more points on it, flat. Now that really kind of came about because crampons, you know, even like before crampons were kind of a thing and had some sort of, you know, maybe some metal spikes underneath, but certainly nailed boots. So hobnail boots, like keeping more of your foot flat, give you more contact with um, whatever you had protruding from your boots. And then couple that with cutting steps to make the steps even flatter was even um, more important. 1910, either side of 1910, Oscar Eckenstein, who was a British mountaineer, um, actually came out with what we would consider today to be the, the really precursor to the modern crampon, the modern 10-point crampon. Like if you saw that, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's a crampon. Long points, 10 points, no front points. Front points didn't really get put onto crampons until 1927 by Laurent Gravel. So, and even then, 
people were still using 10-point crampons and even hobnail boots beyond the late 20s. So in some ways, the front points didn't really get adopted universally everywhere um, right off the bat. It took a little while. So people were still using step-cutting techniques and kind of utilizing uh, more French techniques. So if we think about French technique, right, like I mentioned, there's kind of two parts. There's the foot part and then there's the ice axe part. And the cool thing is when you merge those two things together, you can create more efficiency and more security on a snow slope, for example, or even an ice slope by just changing the techniques around, which allows you to kind of move more efficiently and be safer. And I think in terms of context of guiding, unlike some of the other disciplines, like especially rock, like you can actually fine tune someone's techniques with their feet and their ice axes to make them more secure as they move, say like in a short roping scenario. So now not only are you using a shortened rope to help protect them, but to even bolster that, you're giving them opportunities to have more um, secure techniques by changing things around. Also, changing their technique around can help them be more efficient in terms of energy use. So um, French technique is pretty awesome. So when we think about just like walking up a snow slope, if we just kind of were going from flat ground to an increasingly steep snow slope, if we just walked uphill, that would be the march technique or pied marche. So think about pied being foot, marche just being marching, just kind of walking uphill, right? You're just not really doing much, just kind of one foot in front of the other and going up the hill. As the slope steepens a little bit, all of a sudden that becomes a little bit awkward, right? You have a pretty big strain on your Achilles um, tendon, you know, so you have to kind of change your foot up a little bit and then just the natural progression is to splay your feet out. So you're making more of a V pattern on your foot, which is the pied en canard, the duck walk. Very, very common to kind of walk into that duck walk or put a foot out to the side um, as that slope steepens. Now, we get a little bit steeper slope and all of a sudden kind of walking straight uphill and either one of those techniques seems a little bit too much or a little bit too um, pointing straight uphill. So we actually turn sideways now and actually kind of use our feet flat on the snow. So that is the actual pied a plat. That's the actual flat foot that a lot of people think about. Then therefore, we're actually moving sideways uphill, keeping our feet flat. And that, and that could be in a shuffle pattern, like, you know, upper foot moves and the lower foot moves, upper foot moves, lower foot moves, or can be a cross-through pattern where our lower foot crosses over our upper foot and then our upper foot moves. So you have positions of balance, to, uh, moving from a position of balance to a position of balance, right? So you're right in between when you have a cross-through maneuver, you're in, you're out of balance. So you always want to like move from a position of balance to a position of balance. So, and then from there, we actually have another technique which works really well, um, pied troisième, which is the third technique, which is really a combination of one foot en canard, so kind of off to the side, and one foot front pointing, which is a really useful technique on steeper snow and ice sometimes, depending on the ice conditions and how sharp your crampons are, because it allows you to front point with some security, but also allows one foot to be flat. So one of the main advantages of a flat-footed technique is that it uses bigger muscle groups and has more support over your leg and kind of your bone structure than front pointing. Front pointing puts a lot of effort on your calves. It's very fast, but it's very tiring. So if you're going to be moving through a long section of kind of consistent snow climbing where efficiency in terms of energy use is kind of important, going pied a plat or using a more flat-footed technique 
is going to be really important. If you just need to bust up something fast with a lot of security sometimes, sometimes our front pointing is a better um, combination. So, And there's even a technique called the piracy, which is kind of like this resting position where you're actually kind of sitting down on one foot, kind of on your heel almost, and you have one foot kind of flat-footed. Now, a lot of this technique not only came out of the crampons being primarily um, having points in the bottom, but also thinking about mountaineering boots of the time. Like, they were not as tall as some of our mountaineering boots now, and also a lot softer kind of in the cuff area. So you were actually able to bend your ankle and roll your bottom points to get contact into the snow and ice. So one thing that's really, really um, bad to do when you're trying to use a flat-footed technique is to only use the uphill portion of your crampon points. So there's like this tendency, like if you're like on skis, for example, to kind of roll your edges in. Well, if you roll your feet uphill, what happens is, A, you, use, you have less um, crampon points in contact with the snow. You only have the upper rail. And B, especially if we're dealing with a little bit harder ice, they'll shear out. So really getting your feet to sit those upper points flat and then roll your ankles and your knees down to actually get your bottom points contacting the ice or snow is super important for stability. Now, this is where it gets challenging for a lot of people because a lot of times if you're on ice, especially cold ice, that feels very precarious. You need very sharp crampon points. You have to be very aggressive with how you stamp your feet in. And it still feels kind of precarious depending on the angle. As we get to snow, like especially good neve snow, that's a lot easier because now you have this like styrofoam medium to work on and then your points sink deeper in and then it's easier to roll your foot down without as much of an extreme angle on your ankle to get more contact in. So on snow, you can actually use a more flat-footed technique on much deeper terrain than you would on ice, right? But think about in the context of what was what is new is once old. Like if you're climbing some wildly steep mushroomed ice climb, right? And you need a rest to get off your front points. What are you going to try to do? You're going to try to step on like the ball of your foot or maybe in your instep, you know, on a little mushroom or maybe even get your heel flat. You're trying to get your foot flat. That is French technique. That's flat-footed technique. So looking for those little micro rests to get the weight off your, off your calves. That's a very old technique, which is kind of cool. So that French technique is pretty interesting and understanding like as our boots get taller and stiffer, you know, and as the slope gets steeper, we actually have to go kind of climb up the slope facing more down the slope to really get that positioning in. And that oftentimes means we have to bend more with our knees versus our ankles. So there actually used to be a thing called mountaineer's ankles where you just have these really loose ankles from doing these pretty extreme um, rotations to get your feet flat. And there's some great pictures of old alpinists, especially some old French alpinists would like, they're on incredibly steep snow and their foot and ankle angle is unbelievable to get their feet flat. So much suppleness in that ankle over years of climbing in the mountains. But really useful techniques to kind of change up your security and your efficiency in the mountains. And then kind of like in the conversation I just had about um, skin track, like you kind of use a similar technique. So you could use more of a troisième or front pointing technique to go straight uphill. Or if you're going to go more pied à plat, which is easier and uses bigger muscles, you have to do more of a switchbacking 
you know, the classic mountaineering switchback technique to keep the angle lower across the snow slope. So even though you are traveling a greater distance, ultimately you're not on a stair machine. You have more of a gentle uphill sidewalk that is more efficient in terms of your energy use. And that's really important if we're talking about a super long day in the mountains or a series of long days in the mountains, conserving that energy and couple that with like a rest step technique really can go a long way. So it's not just about how much energy you're conserving on one step, it's how much energy you're conserving over a couple thousand steps of that day. So super important there. But I also think just as important as that foot technique would be the ice axe technique. So PLA being axe, and think about more of a general mountaineering axe, even though this does apply to more of our technical tools now. And then if we're just walking uphill once again, and I'm not even talking about foot technique now, but if we're just walking uphill with an ice axe, we would just be hanging on to the head of our ice axe and using it as like a cane or a trekking pole, right? So pile con, just like a trekking pole just gives us some stability as we're going uphill. And as we kind of move a little bit steeper uphill, right, we might be a little bit more aggressive with how we actually place that ice axe. So sometimes as we get, we need a little more security, instead of just kind of having a pile con technique, which we typically will have in our uphill hand, but we need a little bit more security, kind of more of what we call a self-belay on snow, we might actually kind of grab that ice axe with both hands and drive the pick, or excuse me, the spike into the snow, um, which is what's called pile manche which is like the handle. So you're kind of driving that in. So you have a little more security and then you move your feet. So once again, thinking about coupling that with foot technique, when we move from a position of balance to a position of balance, so we drive our ice axe in nice and firm and secure, move our feet from a position of balance back to a position of balance and then redrive our ice axe. So as the terrain becomes more exposed and falling may be more of a thing, we're going to move more conservatively. If the snow slope is not particularly slow, exposed and falling is not that big a deal, you can kind of do whatever you want and it's okay, right? So there's another nice technique as we start to get into a steeper snow climbing, and this works actually well too in ice climbing, especially when we're trying to clear a bulge in ice climbing, is the pile pond. So actually using the palm of your hand on top of the ads of your ice axe or the back of your ice axe if you have a hammer. Um, and what that allows you to do, it actually allows you to kind of mantle. So it's actually a very efficient way of climbing steep snow slopes. And so instead of swinging your ice axe all the time, you can actually just put your hands low on the ice, um, by your body rather, hands on the head of the ice axe, and you just kind of like just shuffle your way up, kind of mantling as you kick steps all the way up steeper snow slopes. And that's a really efficient way, especially if you have good neve snow, you just slide your ice axe just kind of sinks in and then the pressure of your hands helps push that ice axe in. It can be a very secure way of moving uphill um, and then moving over bulges because now you can push down on that as you stand up, which is super cool. There's actually a really interesting, um, another int couple of techniques like the pile appui, which is really just like, instead of putting your hand on the top of the ice axe, it's really just holding the shaft kind of either mid shaft or up towards the head. You know, and sometimes it's just kind of more like pushing your ice axe into the snow um, just for a little bit of a balance. So like say, sometimes that works really well on a traverse, right? And you just need to kind of push your ice axe in the snow to kind of give you a little stability. Um, it's not necessarily a technique I use um, going up a long section, but not, but sometimes yes, you know, just holding your ice axe thing. You have two shorter tools and you just kind of hold your ice axe mid shaft as you kind of like, um, scramble up, front pointing up a slope. Um, so you're not actually holding them down below you, but they're kind of more um, in front of you a little bit. 
And then there's also this other technique, which is poignard, the dagger technique. And that's where you actually take your hands. So say you take your thumb and you take the bottom of your ice axe underneath the head. So you're actually taking your, the ice axe is going to rest between your thumb and your forefinger. And then you actually grab around the top of your ice axe and you actually use that like a dagger and kind of drive that into the snow. Um, that's an interesting technique. I have legitimately done that, but it's more like climbing a steep snow, a short, steep snow feature to a, a pretty rounded um, top out. And you just needed, you were kind of low enough where you couldn't swing over the top of this snow top out. So you just needed like one more move. So you drive that into the snow and then you'd work your feet up and then turn that technique into Pele um, Pan. But Another place where you see that sometimes is in more technicalized climbing when you actually drive your ice axe into the ice like on a bulge and you actually just reach up and grab the head of the ice axe as it's driven in there to get a little bit more vertical height with your feet before you re-swing your other ice axe. So it is actually a pretty interesting technique. We just don't typically like plant our ice axe using that technique, but we might actually use the second part of like wrapping our hand around, which is kind of cool. And then we have kind of the classic with the ice axes the pile anchor, the anchor technique. So this is like the iconic mountaineering axe in hand. You're in flat footing and then you're kind of twisting up towards the mountain and you swing your ice axe, planting the pick into the ice. And then guess what? You work your hands up the ice axe, right? So that way you can get as much vertical gain per every swing. You might even get above your ice axe and go from pile anchor to a pui, to poignard, to pan and then you top out over the bulge. So you actually make like a whole body and a half lengths of movement with one ice axe placement. So I think once again, we think about our modern tools, our modern leashless tools, like, oh, they're so modern. Like for most of climbing history, tools are essentially leashless and people would plant an ice axe and kind of work their way up that ice axe, right? As a railing to get higher up so they don't have to keep placing their ice axe. No different than what you see now with people, especially these really radical like, mixed climbing tools that have several points, two, three, four points of, of places to put your hands as you work your hands up these tools. It's just Pile Ankara just being expressed fully with modern tools and awareness of how we could actually use that. That's what I love about that. That's why I like to say most things that are new were once old. There's always innovation that comes out of stuff and that is truly new, but it's based on this very old platform, which I think is pretty interesting. And that Pile Ankara is like, it's a great way to kind of moving through the mountains, you know, classic swinging. It's great on nice, um, firm snow, right? Or climbing with one ice axe on lower angle terrain, same thing um, on ice, for example. But then when we start thinking about using two ice axes now, right? So more the modern version of climbing ice, we're thinking about PLA traction. So the kind of like the pull-up method. So now you have two ice axes for upward progression. So now we're swinging each each ice axe in and using that as as the train gets steeper, so when you're in super steep snow, or now we're talking about harder ice climbing, we need that second axe to provide us more stability and more contact points to actually help us go up the ice. So Yvonne Chouinard really introduced that style of climbing in North America. And he did it in the Adirondacks, I believe, in the classic gully, the Chouinard um, gully, where introducing smaller ice axes, shorter ice axes, 
that are designed more for upward progression, but in this Pile traction method. And I won't get any more into that piece um, in, the, in the evolution of that method into what we have today. But it's kind of cool um, that technique's actually, in a lot of ways, not that old. Like, really talking about, you know, 60s, 70s, in the 70s, when we're really talking about shortened tools, because before that, tools were PLAs. There were longer ice axes, still a lot of step cutting, but that shortened tool piece allowed us to climb steeper and steeper ice, which is kind of cool. Now, there are a couple also um, kind of techniques for your ice axe are kind of specialty. So there's kind of a traversing technique, so pile ramas, which means to pick up. So as you go across a slope, a snow slope, for example, you're actually going to bring the ice axe pick across your body and then plant it in the snow for kind of another point of contact. You kind of kind of lean against a bit. And that gives you some stability on a traverse. And the pickup is you're actually picking the head up away from the snow surface as you have one head, hand on the head, one hand closer to the spike. And that could be really useful, and on ice too. And there's actually a pile romp, which is kind of a descending technique where you're actually going straight downhill and you swing your ice axe as, as you would in like pile anchor, but you swing it downhill. And then you kind of use that ice axe that's now planted downhill as kind of an as a ramp to move your feet downhill. And sometimes that's really nice on short little steep sections just to get into a, a better spot. So there's a lot of different techniques um, with the French technique. I love it. It's, I, I think about as mountain guide, I use these techniques a lot because I spend a lot of time moving through the mountains, right? And then I love to see the connection between these mountain travel techniques and how they can get fully expressed with modern equipment and kind of modern ideas about how to use that equipment um, in like really wild mixed climbing and technical ice climbing. But a lot of it's really based on old traditional things. Like I love mixed climbing. Everybody's like, oh, mixed climbing is such a cool thing. People have been mixed climbing as long as they've been in mountains. Anytime there's been snow and rock, people have been mixed climbing. So all kinds of techniques have come about like torquing ice axes in the cracks. Like that's not a new thing. That's a very old thing. But it's a really worthwhile study and understand that so many people want to skip that these days. Like they literally just go straight to the hard ice and don't know how to walk around effectively in the mountains on crampons for a long period of time. And I think that's so interesting how we can couple those techniques with reading the terrain and understanding how we can make things as comfortable as possible by looking for paths that have lower angle slopes or lower angle terrain features, you know, to keep our ankles not so um, torqued over in these these um, French technique, and then couple that with techniques like short roping. So it really puts a good package together in terms of being a mountain guide and moving through mountains and also coaching people to be more efficient on more technical terrain. Now, there's actually a fair amount of good resources. And I, I know I don't have every resource out there about this, but there are some really good books that have some historical knowledge on and technique about climbing in the mountains. I, some of the ones I really enjoy that are like, you know, that I have that are a hundred years old, you know, are really some great British, um, books. George D. Abraham is one, the complete mountaineer has some great stuff about just mountain travel and moving through the mountains on snow, ice, rock. And some of the things in these books that are truths that still hold true today. It's kind of amazing. You'll read something. You're like, that's completely relevant to technical climbing today, whether it's about rope work, like a conceptual thing about rope work or just conceptual thing about movement. It's pretty wild. Um, so that's an interesting book to, to read. 
um, Jeffrey Winthrop Young, Mountain Crafts, not bad. Now, granted, these books are pretty, you know, they're 20th century books, so they have a very hard male bias bent to them because that was kind of the viewpoint. So, I mean, if you can get past that, there is some actually great um, information in there. But some of it's some of it's pretty wildly misogynistic, to be honest. Um, but as we kind of move forward, you know, there's some um, Gaston Rebuffa, who's one of my favorite um, authors of some great books about guiding and kind of vision and, and philosophies about being the mountains. He has a book, where is it here? On Snow and Rock, which has some great... Um, techniques about moving over snow and rocks in the Alps um, is where he's mostly showing this and it has some of this great French technique. You can really see some step cutting technique. Um, a lot of these techniques I mentioned are in there with some good pictures. Super awesome. Um, and it's also just a great book to just realize how how bold some of these earlier mountaineers and guides were with their techniques and where they were climbing. Some of the pictures are just insane in this book um, about climbing where they are and what they have. Um, it's super cool. So that's a really good book. Oh, and on page 75 in that book on Snow and Rock, there's a picture of Gaston climbing on the Guy de Midi, uh, I think on the south face. And it's just this amazing picture of the spirit of alpinism. He's on this like essentially vertical face, sweater, knickers, boots, rope tied to his waist, and the rope just goes from his waist and just drops out of sight below you. Um, no gear and like 40 feet below. And it's just this breathtaking photo. But that's a great book as well. Um, Jeff Lowe has written a couple books. Now, Jeff Lowe is a great pioneering rock climber and ice climber, really thoughtful, and I find his writing can be really um, interesting to read. A very early book that he wrote is called The Ice Experience, um, has some great technique. This is like in the 70s, I believe mid-late 70s, um, 1979 right there. And some great um, early steep ice techniques, but also a lot of this great French technique. And then he actually wrote another book um, that's specifically about ice. I think this was in the late 90s, Ice World, um, as some harder mixed climbing and thin ice climbing became a lot more in the consciousness of people. Not that people haven't been doing that for a long time. And he really pushed some grades. I think he did the first M8, Octopussy, which is in Vail, Colorado. And this book's got a great kind of instructional um, bent to it. So there's a lot of instruction about kind of that alpine climbing and using these French technique styles, flat-footed techniques with some great pictures, but also some great steeper ice climbing um, and mixed climbing. He actually had a really good rock climber, Bird Lou, as a student who never did any ice climbing. They actually made a whole video series of this too. And even though the tools and stuff are outdated, a lot of the techniques are still highly relevant. So that book, um, Ice World's great and the nice, great color pictures. And then the last um, resource I'm going to give you is the Bible, is the classic. And that's actually Climbing Night Ice by Yvonne Chouinard. Now, that to me is the, the actual text of all texts in terms of these techniques of French technique. Um, it's a great book. I mean, there is, um, this book came out in the 70s. Um, there is some of the more, um, you know, steeper ice modern techniques, um, which is really great as well. Some great just kind of like mountain craft stuff in there. 
and once again, some inspirational pictures. But I feel like that book in particular really breaks down the actual ice axe and foot techniques really well and the French technique. I mean, anybody who's an ice climber or mountaineer should have a copy of this under their pillow and be reading it like every day. That's my opinion. Um, it's out of print now, but um, you can find one. And uh, yeah, just a great, great book in terms of technique and mountain craft. Um, and certainly I have a connection with Chenard, not personally in terms of I don't know him, even though I do know people who do know him, but he was born and raised in Maine. Um, or be, raised might be, you know, I'm not quite sure when he left Maine, but he was definitely born here. I believe he still has family here. You know, so I always feel like there's this connection between Chenard um, and myself just because of the Franco-American piece that we have here in Maine, but also just technically we're both Mainers and I like that. So anyway, French technique, really useful techniques to, to go practice, understand, get good at, um, challenge people as they're ice climbing to try it and see how hard French technique can be or how it can add some beauty and efficiency to your technical climbing.